The word of the Lord from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We've already taken a look at the Beatitudes this year. So today a change of pace and a look at our first reading instead of the Gospel reading today. In Revelation 7, a multitude stands before the throne and before the Lamb. We know that the living Lamb on the throne appears to have been slain. This is Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. They stand before Him in glory, which means that their sin is taken away. They are wearing white robes, White because they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Blood normally stains, but this blood, shed for the redemption of the world, it cleanses, it purifies. This is the same comfort as the palm branches in their hands. People greeted Jesus with palm branches when he rode into Jerusalem on the Sunday before his crucifixion. Then they cried out to him, Hosanna, save us now, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He was riding into Jerusalem to grant their prayer to bring them salvation. Now that they are gathered around his throne in heaven, they're singing, oh, the next verse of the same hymn. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're rejoicing that the one who rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to save now has now saved them 
and won their salvation forever. So the Lord has won salvation for you forever. He has washed your robe and made it white with his blood in the waters of holy baptism. He has marked you as his own on your forehead. He has sealed you with his forgiveness. The devil's got to keep his hands off of you because you belong to his conqueror. Back to the multitude one more time because John has told more good news. We read, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Everything that was lost because of sin is restored. This is back to the Garden of Eden before the fall. The people of God are with God. He dwells with them, and they can look upon him and live. Since nothing unholy can be in his sight, there is nothing there that can cause them harm or grief. And that's for all the saints in heaven. They are out of this great tribulation. They are delivered from everything that still dogs and plagues you. That's why they rest from their labors, and you don't. Take heart, though. You're in that vision, too. You're just not there yet. But because you're sealed and washed white in the blood of Jesus, you are his even now. The inheritance of heaven is yours even now. Because even now, for the sake of Jesus, you've been made holy. You're a saint. As long as you're in this dying world, though, there is always the danger of throwing away your status as a saint and losing it all. There are a couple of big temptations that would lead you away from being among the heavenly multitude, and we do well to look at them. One of these temptations is to believe that being a saint is not about being holy, but by being good or good enough. The other is to believe that you could never be holy at all. Before I speak to these, I'd like to walk through a few verses of Leviticus 21, where God gives us an illustration of his requirements for holiness. He's giving Aaron instructions about which men can serve as priests in the tabernacle close to his presence behind the curtain. Among the requirements, the Lord declares that a man cannot serve as a priest in the tabernacle if he is blind or lame, a hunchback or a dwarf, or if he has a blemish, a mutilated face or a limb too long, an injured foot or injured hand, a defect in his sight, an itching disease, or certain crushed body parts. With that list, a lot of men are going to be excluded, which might sound kind of unfair, as if the Lord doesn't care much for people with disabilities, 
shouldn't God understand? Shouldn't he compensate? But he doesn't compensate in Leviticus. He just says, no. God isn't unjustly discriminating, though. He's teaching, and as always, he is pointing to Christ. To serve so near to God's presence in the most holy place, one has to appear more or less physically perfect. And in this way, God is teaching that we have to be perfect in body and mind and spirit if we are to be in his presence in heaven. That perfection, that's holiness. Was God unkind to these men in Leviticus because he didn't compensate for their disabilities? No, because he was doing something far, far better for them. He was sending his son to take their infirmities away. When Jesus came, he bore their sins and their infirmities to the cross so that they might rise from the dead fully forgiven and fully healed in body and thus in God's presence forever. As those priests, or would-be priests, trusted in the Messiah who was to come, they were sealed with Jesus' grace. They were robed in his righteousness. See, while infirmities and injuries and blemishes aren't sins that bring guilt, they are still evidences, marks of sin's curse. They are proof that people are sinful and imperfect, and whatever is sinful and imperfect isn't holy. Unholy people cannot be in God's presence. He doesn't allow it, but neither does he forsake you. Instead, in Christ, he takes the unholiness and all of its curse away. Christ has borne your sins and your infirmities to the cross, and that is why you are holy, only because Jesus covers you with his own righteousness. Because he forgives you, because he cleanses you, God declares that you are numbered among his saints. But as I said before, there are two dangers to your sainthood. And the first is to believe that being a saint is about being good, or maybe we should say good enough. It's rather common for people to say, I think I'll go to heaven because I'm a good person. And if that's you, you're expecting God to make allowances for your sin. But God doesn't compensate for sin. And salvation isn't about being good. It's about being holy, and that's a much higher standard. That means perfect, sinless, not just above average. So if that is you, thinking that salvation is about being good enough, then you probably find messages about forgiveness to be the same old, same old, rather than welcome announcements of undeserved life. It means that you don't really comprehend the depth of your sin or the magnitude of God's mercy. If that's your temptation, then I would urge you to submit to what the Word of God says about you and your sinfulness, whether you feel it or not. And should you suffer from affliction or infirmity, let that be a reminder that you are under the law, subject to the wages of sin and in need of Jesus' healing 
and in need of Jesus' grace. The other danger is to doubt that you could ever be holy. God tells you in his word that you're forgiven and holy for the sake of Jesus, and so the devil is busy drawing your attention to things that say otherwise. The evil one works to make you hear the Beatitudes as your list of steps to heaven so that you focus on you and eventually find despair. He digs up old sins and reminds you of them in the middle of the night or when you least expect it. And his argument is simple. Holy people don't do things like you've done. Furthermore, he points you to the infirmities and failings of your mind and body and health, all of which are further proof that you're suffering the consequences of sin. As death gets closer, body and mind become more frail and afflicted, and so the devil tightens the screws and tries to persuade you that, just like those men of Leviticus 21, there is no way that you could ever be in the glorious presence of God. You know what to do with either of these temptations. You cling to Christ, the Lamb who was slain and who now sits on the throne. When the devil tells you that holy people don't do the sins you've done, you say, well, of course they don't. That's why I don't claim to be holy on my own. I'll actually agree with you, devil, as much as to say that my sins make me unholy, while I'll even confess that before God. And unlike you, I'll also happily declare that Jesus, the Holy Son of God, bore my sins to the cross and died with them. He covers me with his righteousness. Having taken away my sin, Jesus shares his holiness with me. Oh no, I don't claim to be holy on my own. Instead, I acknowledge that Jesus has died for my sins, and he makes me holy. So, devil, if you are going to make me unholy, you've got to get Jesus to take his holiness back. And that's not going to happen. When the devil uses your infirmities and afflictions to tell you that heaven is not for you, you point to Jesus again and you say, When Jesus came as my Savior, he came to reverse all the curse of sin. That's why he bore both my sins and my infirmities to the cross. It's quite true that someone in my afflicted condition can't be in heaven, which is why Jesus has promised to raise me from the dead fully healed and fully restored. Thus, blemish-free and holy, I can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see? You're holy already, but not because of you. You're holy because you wear Christ's holiness. He clothed you in it at your baptism, and he keeps wrapping you in it by his word and by his supper. It is solely for his sake that you are righteous before God. That's the comfort of the Feast of All Saints, for your own sake, and for you as you grieve the loss of those saints who have gone before us. In the past year, we've had to say goodbye to some of our brothers and sisters here. 
children of God named Richard, Ruth, Lorraine, and Ferdinand. In each of these cases, death did not really come as a surprise. They could feel their decline. We could see it too. The devil would have us believe that this is only proof that death wins, that we only degrade and decay. But it is not so. These, our brothers and sisters in Christ, were redeemed at the cross, cleansed by Jesus' blood, sealed in baptism, and confessed him as their Savior. We mourn, but we do not mourn without hope. They are the saints around the throne. They are among those who have come out of this great tribulation. For, like you... They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For now you feebly struggle, they in glory shine. But you are no less saints of God than they who have been delivered. You are still in the great tribulation, but you have been washed white in the blood of the Lamb. Worthy is Christ, the Lamb who was slain whose blood set us free to be people of God, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.